0: You're listening to 7 Points of Satisfaction in Buying HR Technology, supported by the HR Gazette and Hive Tech HR. And now your host, Jeremy Ames. All right, welcome to the 7th point in the satisfaction in buying HR technology. Today we're going to be talking about adoption of software, and in particular, HR software. Uh, my name is Jeremy Ames. I'm joined today by special guest Mark Barlow, uh, who is the CEO of AppLearn. Welcome, Mark.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: Yeah. So uh, it's a very exciting day for me today because uh, we've reached the actually the seventh in this series. Um, I specifically chose adoption to be kind of the the final uh, the final episode in this series, um, basically because I think it's the holy grail of of software implementation and usage. Um, so actually in the article series, this whole thing, as I've mentioned a few times is based on a series that, uh, that I wrote that lived on that, that still is out on uh tech target. And in the series adoption was the sixth article um, where it actually kind of flowed the, the process. And, and uh, the last one in the whole series was support, but I kind of flip flopped that because, uh, from my perspective, adoption is even a, a more vital component to the success of a of software than support or even these other things. So, I'm very excited to have such an expert on here to help me out and talk through these um, this major topic. So, the first thing I wanted to bring up was um, this concept of loving your software, and this was uh, this was something that we wrote into the series and. And, uh, you know, people don't usually think of some program as as something that would require the users to love it. But uh, truthfully, in my experience uh, with the software that I've implemented and worked on, if you don't have that component, if people don't feel passionate about the software they're using and it's just a tool or a means to an end, you may secure some adoption of that software for a period of time, but it's, it's likely to lose its luster. Um, and that goes even for some, you know, non, non-business specific tools like, you know, gaming or anything. Every, every, so- every bit of software eventually loses its luster. So the more you can get the users to love it, the better chance you have of that lasting a long time. So Mark, what are your thoughts on, on whether that's necessary or even could the, you know, could mundane, boring software that users don't love, can you still secure adoption and how much does that play into it? Well,
1: it's an interesting question. You know, um, when you look at software that resides on, uh, on let's say, a cell phone or a mobile phone, uh, and you look at um, uh, all the different types of uh, software applications that you can download, uh, they're they're very easy to use. They're very intuitive. They're built for purpose. Um, but the user gets an instant benefit from those from those mobile phones. So you can, uh, you know, you can talk to your uh, your brother in Australia for free. You can order a cheap ticket for somewhere. You can get a cheap flight, cheap holiday. You can buy something on Amazon. Everything that you do when you use your mobile application, uh, you get almost immediate benefit from. And that's that's what takes you back there. And that's why you love it. And that's why you keep going back and using it. But uh, with business-to-business software, uh, you don't get an immediate benefit. You have to use the software because it underpins a business process in your organization. Uh, the software tends to be a lot more complicated. The processes are a lot more complicated so um, try trying to get users to love business uh, application software isn 't uh, isn 't just all easy. What you really have to do is get them to engage in the process. The software is underpinning a process whatever that process is in the, in the case of h r it could be a recruitment process or it could be an, a performance management process but it 's underpinning a process so the question is. Can you get them to love the process? Can you get them to realise why it's important to them and important to the business? Can we get them to understand the benefits that they get and the business gets from that process? Uh, If you can win the hearts and minds and if you get get them to love the process, uh, you've got half a chance then of getting them to engage in the software. So the software alone uh, in a business-to-business context is, is, can't, I don't believe, you can get to a position where you can love the software. You're only going to love it if if it's doing something useful for you, and you're going to get a benefit, or the company's going to get a benefit as you're using it. So, first thing is, get the user to love the process, and then show them the software.
0: Those are all all great points, Mark, and it's actually, you know, this gear actually symbolizes process. So, I'm glad you kind of incorporated that. And it also takes takes the, the listeners, if you if you kind of follow through this whole series, it takes you back to the beginning when. We we're talking about product and how much you're buying the product versus you know making sure that the product fits your processes or even enhances your processes so you're right i mean it, if if you've gone through this whole process and now you're looking for them to adopt it and and use it successfully everything to that point would have had the decisions would have been had to have made that got you the best the best uh, fit for your processes and the best enhancement to them. So that's that in turn could maybe love is strong and that's, it was intentionally strong, but maybe they can at least uh, find the value in it enough that they'll end up using it. And what if they don't though? I mean, and this is, this is why, you know, a company like yours is so important and, and why in each implementation that I've worked on, that the adoption of the software is vital and that even in the buying process, like the one that we're talking about here, that companies need to factor this in because if, if they don't, you know, first we have to know how we're going to pick up on that fact, you know, where are those facts going to come from? and then once they don't like that software what you really need to think about what could be the worst case scenario in this in terms of lost revenue lost effort um and because you're going to basically you're going to discover that the importance of adoption in avoiding those kind of things so what are your what are your thoughts on how how do you know if you don't if they don't like it and and what then happens
1: well, if they don't like it, um, that's that's expensive, that's costly, because your organization is paying thousands, millions of pounds a year out for licenses and uh, the users are not using them. Um, that is um, a problem around the world right now, uh, and that's why uh, my company exists. Um, if you look at uh, research, for example, that um, Gartner put out, 75% of all business transformation projects fail to deliver their their expected business outcome their expected business outcome what that means is that they're not delivering a return on value um, a return on investment Um, so it's an expensive situation if if users are not uh, using the software Uh, but the first thing you need to know is uh, you know how are you measuring that how are you measuring the fact that they're not uh, loving the software and they're not using it well that means that the processes are failing uh, that means that you're not getting your appraisals done on time. That means that data accuracy is a problem for your Data integrity is a problem. It means that, that that your business is failing because processes are not being completed, and uh, and that uh, it, it becomes an even more expensive uh, situation. So the first thing you need to do is measure. You know, in what way and where are these processes failing if you're a global company for example have you got problems in France have you got problems in Germany problems in America where who are the users and where are these users that are uh, that are not buying into the uh, and not engaged in the processes um, and then you need to go about understanding why and and why isn't all isn't all just um, uh, cognitive feedback you know why, why you're not using the software but but why can be other 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 data data measures as well um, you need to find out why, so you need to measure, and then you need to take action. Um, without the data, without measuring adoption, without that data, you don't really know what you're doing. Uh, you're boxing in the dark, uh, and the actions that you take could well be the wrong actions.
0: I'm wondering because you know I'm trying to put this in the perspective of of an HR system. you know you can think of payroll as well, but HR is primarily a transactional system. Uh, And, you know, there's some talent management components that are a little bit softer, so to speak. But there's so many transactions as far as, you know, enrolling in benefits and making, uh, you know, transitioning people from job to job and and hiring and terming. And and there's so many ways that you can see whether or not that people are successful in those tasks in terms of, you know, did did how many of what percentage of the employees didn't use the system to enroll in benefits? You know, which, which percentage? went outside of the normal process of requesting time off and just did it you know paper based or uh, you know even more seriously when when you go through the process of of uh, closing out the year and and doing compensation management, you know how many people just manually entered a bonus as opposed to letting the system do do that for you so i 'm wondering from your perspective, do you see some systems being like if when somebody's looking for a system to buy, are some systems more successful in getting people through transactions and, and are naturally easier to adopt them? Uh, or is it pretty, pretty consistent on, the, on that front?
1: Well, you know, wherever, wherever you're using software that, that, that you have to use every day to complete your day job, um, you, you pretty soon pick it up. So if, if you're in uh, if you're in HR and you're in payroll and you're doing payroll and it's every day you log on to the system and every day you use it, um, then you soon become familiar with that software. But if if you've got software that you're using infrequently, uh, like for example, you might do your an, annual appraisal, you know, once a year with an interim in the middle of the year. So you pick it up and you put it down. You might recruit ten people a year, so you don't use the recruitment application very often. Uh, these applications are the ones that are, that are very difficult. And what makes it even more difficult is that every quarter your SaaS provider changes that software. So it's, if it's been three or four months since um, since you last got in there to do something, when you do go back in, it could well have changed. So um, what you're trying to deal with here is, is constant change within an organisation, either process change or uh, or software change uh, which is driven by the SaaS vendor nobody tells you when you buy a SaaS tool that you're going to have to be very agile around change because change is going to occur every time the software vendor up- updates the software so in actual fact um what we found uh, jeremy is that it doesn't matter what software you're using uh and most of the software that's out there is good uh, it, it, it's it's good for purpose some is better than others but 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 at the end of the day You have to find a way to manage change and to communicate change to your entire organization uh, if you're going to sustain uh, adoption over the period of the the, the software contract. So it is an everyday, uh, all-day activity. It's not something that you stop when you go live. And that's something else we find is people generally stop when you go live.
0: Yeah. Actually, you just brought us back to the last uh, the last episode, which is uh, was about is, was about support and uh, the whole topic of SaaS and upgrades. You know, it does play in there. Like, even though all software is you know just software in the end, different vendors manage the uh, upgrade process differently, and and. Provide either provide help or make it easier for the end user or the end the the client company uh, in different ways. So that is that is an important difference to consider during the buying process. Um, you sort of alluded to this, Mark. About uh, and I, and I caught on. We've had a couple of vendors that were that are based over in the UK, which makes this whole thing fun. But you you said you can save or lose thousands of pounds or millions of pounds for your company. Um, and you know, I, you know, I see this too. One of the interesting costs that people don't consider is, you know, if you, if software is so cumbersome and, and even all the points that get you to this, this point, point in the process, like implement, implementation and the selection of the, if, if things go bad enough, you could not only lose uh, money on the adoption of it and all the money you spent getting there, people lose jobs in this whole, in this whole deal. You know, people it's If you can't get successfully through this process, people within the company, um, it can happen. And, and so then it's not only the direct cost, but it's the indirect cost of having to replace you know, either the HR staff or the HRIS staff that's been lost as a result of all this. So what are, the, what, are, what are some of the specific ways that you can see companies either losing or saving money as it relates to adoption?
1: I think whenever somebody puts a business case together to purchase a, a new piece of software, um, that business case shows that there's going to be uh, a need to spend and invest uh, money uh, and there'll be a payback period um, of, of say let's make this up one and a half two years say but there will be a payback period and at some point the company will be'll um, be making money out of this particular uh, 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 transition. Um, True to the matter is that business case was put together with the assumption that you would achieve, achieve and sustain 100% adoption through the lifetime of the contract. So if you're actually, if 50% of your employees uh, have failed to em- embrace the change and are not adopting the software, not only are you losing the cost of the licenses that you're paying for and not getting any value out of, but you're also losing the upside, the, the, the benefits that you expected to get when you put the business plan together in the first place. So adoption doesn't cost you money, it actually saves you money. It helps you to be sure to achieve your, the, as Gartner said, the, the original expected business outcomes. You need your adoption to be 90% plus to get anywhere near that business case that you presented uh for the budget to do the project in the first place. What we're finding out there is that too many companies are are well below 50% adoption within 12 months of of going live. At that point, uh, they can kiss goodbye to any return on investment Mm -hmm. that they might have expected when they put the business case together.
0: So essentially, you know, you and I both know that there's probably a very low percentage of those ROI analyses that factor in adoption, and like you said, they just assume 100%. So you've basically discredited <laughs> every consultant, every internal, you know, IT group that has gone through one of those analyses and handed it off to this the CFO and said, "Hey, look, how much money we're going to save." They're actually they've been presenting inflated numbers all you know this whole time, which which is a pretty scary thought, right?
1: It is a scary thought. And there's, there's, there's so much that we're learning about SaaS technology, about cloud-based technology, about the frequency of change uh, is one of them that I mentioned earlier on. But this, this cost issue of, of adoption, um, without adoption, um, you're really not going to achieve your ROIs. So it is a critical element.
0: hmm and so here's the topic of who owns adoption, and and the main reason I I, I included this and, and wrote about it is because during the buying process, the buyer is not typically asking the vendor this question. So this is more of a you know do do we own it as a person who's going to be uh, purchasing your software and buying it and implementing it? Um, do you own? Do you the software vendor own it? Because uh, the answers to those questions are going to be very telling and how seriously the software vendor takes that question is also a, a very telling part of the buying process. And I know you app itself is kind of like a facilitator, kind of like maybe a liaison, however you want to call that, uh, who, who tries to help both parties. But from your perspective, which makes this even more valuable answer, who should own it? Uh, is it really up to the, up to the person who's buying the software or the vendor?
1: Uh, it's up to the person who's buying the software. Interestingly enough, now, if you go on LinkedIn and you do a search for user adoption managers, you'll start to see now titles uh, for people coming head of, of software adoption, wow. head of user adoption, user adoption specialist. You'll start to see people coming through now with, uh, with, with, with titles, with job titles that are based around adoption. Um, we believe that adoption is 80% process and Process communication and change, and 20% software. So the software vendors themselves can only have a n- limited impact on user adoption uh, within your organisation. Their, u- their UI, that they deliver the user experience, um, and uh, and all of this, the sort of tools that they might offer to you can only have a 20% impact on adoption. The biggest part of it is managing change and. The company themselves are the people responsible for managing change. My advice to anybody out there that's listening is this: um, appoint somebody at head of user adoption for your HR tool, and make that person accountable. Give them a budget because it doesn't come for free. You do have to pay for it, uh, and give that person uh, an objective. And that objective is make sure that the adoption of our HR tool uh, is always above ninety percent. And that person will pay for themselves 10 times over in the first year
0: wow well that was my greatest insight of this session I've, I've never i've never actually recommended that but that will probably be become one of the recommendations that i make moving forward to the clients that we work with um and then on the vendor side I, you just mentioned that a lot of this uh, comes down to the to the purchaser making sure that they have the people in place but can the vendor actually help in that can they provide you know usage consumption adoption metrics uh in the end they still have to play a role i would think so how can they help i guess
1: yeah that's that's an interesting question this is what it all comes down to how do we how do we measure what do we measure what data do we need and where can we get that data from so one source of data is of course Data coming from the vendor software themselves, but it is based all around usage and consumption. So, who's logged on? When did they log on? What did they do? Where did they go? Did they complete tasks on times? All that sort of great data is is critical, and that comes from the vendor. But another good source, for example, of um, of data is is the help desk or the support desk. Mm. So, what 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 tickets um, are being uh, logged? What 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 are the problems that the uh, that, that the frontline support people are encountering encountering um, can we have a data feed from that system because it really be, would be interesting to see um who's calling the help desk on what sort of uh, problems they they they're having and who and where are those problems coming from um and then we can correlate that data with the vendor data and maybe there are other data sets too for example Uh, What we do at Apple is provide a a centralized um, content library of, of training materials and communication materials. So there's a data feed that can come from content consumption. So once you start to take three or four different data feeds and correlate them together, you get much richer information about user adoption and user behaviors around your organization. So the answer, uh, Jeremy, is yes. Um, the vendors play an important part and can provide some data into the mix. But in terms of user adoption, um, to get that real uh, picture, you need data from other sources too.
0: Yeah, it's, I think it's important to point out there that you know the where that help desk exists and how much is being done by the the company itself versus the vendor, or even in some cases like a shared services type situation, that. There's a lot of factors that go into that. The biggest factor is how big is the company, because I've seen, you know, in big enterprise level companies, you're going to potentially have your own support desk that's doing these things. It has its own help desk tool, whereas, uh, you know, I've worked with plenty of customers that don't have that internally and they do exclusively rely on vendor support. So um, I think that's a factor to consider when you're buying. So this was uh, really an insightful uh, session for me as well. Hopefully those those of you that were able to listen in and make sure, as this is the final episode, make sure you catch the previous episodes that have been uh, recorded and transcribed. And I hope you've enjoyed the series. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to 7 Points of Satisfaction in Buying HR Technology. Subscribe on iTunes and learn more at hrgazette.com.